You Can Measure Anything, the podcast, shares conversations to help you clarify unclear concepts so that you can develop better measures that lead to better decisions. Let's get started. To begin a conversation on such a complex phenomenon as social justice, it's important to start the discussion on the same working definition. In this conversation, we will define social justice as the equal treatment of all individuals, regardless of their race, gender, sexual orientation, or other personal characteristics. It's about the efforts and causes at the heart of creating a society where everyone has the same opportunities and rights despite their background and uncontrollable social factors or circumstances. Measuring social justice can be challenging as it is a complex and multifaceted issue, which is why social justice is our topic this week. Hello and welcome to You Can Measure Anything, the podcast. I'm Nicole Aliotto, CEO of Alabrava Consulting, and today I'm joined by Nishay Lowe, a PhD candidate in international conflict management at Kennesaw State University. Welcome, Nishay. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, we're excited about this topic. We hear it a lot in, in the media and you know, social justice in the news seems to have an uptick around Martin Luther King Jr. weekend and Black History Month. So maybe we should start with a discussion of how social justice and civil rights are similar, how are they different, because we need to understand that before we can really start thinking about measuring it. So let, let's start there. You know, what do, we, what do we think about? What are some of those similarities and differences between those two concepts? Yeah, so both social justice and civil rights aim to address inequalities and promote a more fair and equitable society. Um, social justice and civil rights are also similar in that they both look to address and end systemic inequalities um, while promoting that fairness that we mentioned and equality for all individuals. But social justice is more of a broad concept that encompasses many different issues, including economic equality, access to education, representation and positions of power and the treatment of marginalized groups. But civil rights refers specifically to the legal rights and protections guaranteed by the government to individuals. And this includes things like the right to vote, the right to equal protection of the law and the right to fair trial. So it sounds like from a, a kind of a, an overarching perspective that social justice is more of a macro concept and civil rights is more micro. Would that be a distinction? I think so. Yes. Um, yeah. Social justice, again, is that broader concept, but civil rights goes more to those specific laws and those specific things that impact individuals every day. Right. So societal level versus individual level, one is more general and one is definitely more connected to legal. And there are mm -hmm. uh, more strict definitions that we might not see mm -hmm. when we're talking about a more general uh, societal level concept. And while we're talking about it too, I think when we we think about social justice, we also think about the concept of equity and equity and equitable access. So when we think about social justice, equity, civil rights, how are they connected? And, and it is equity and social justice, are they interchangeable? I think that they are closely related. I find that equity and equality are used interchangeably but it is important to understand that the efforts of social justice is to reach and develop a more equitable society, right? 
without equity, we can't have equality. Um, I think it, I think it's primary to achieving equality. So when we talk about equality, there's the idea that everyone has availability and access to the same things. So if these things are out there, then everyone is equal. But in reality, there's a difference between having inclusive language that promotes equality by saying that we have access to, to certain goods and services for everyone versus the more traditional exclusive practices that have happened throughout our history in the United States. So availability does not mean access. Availability just means opportunities are there, but the part where social justice comes in is making sure that the people who need access to those things to reach the same level playing field as the advantaged groups in society have that access to the opportunities. I often have heard the terms of equity and equality in terms of right now I'm, I'm wearing my reading glasses. So let's use that as an example. So, you know, we can have the same document in front of us, for example, and that's, you know, equality. We both have, you know, this, this equal, you know, tangible material that we're looking at, but equity is when, you know, I'm given reading glasses to actually be able to see it because without those glasses, then, you know, there really isn't that level playing field just because we both have it doesn't mean that we're both able to take advantage of it in the same way. Is that kind of a fair distinction of those concepts? Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a very grounded example. Um, so again, I can't expect you to read the document faster than me or at the same speed as me when you need assistance to even do so. So not to make sure that you have whatever aids that you need at the same starting point as me is essential to us finishing at the same time or on the same level at all. So that has to, yeah. So in that glasses example, then would social justice come in to play where being the provider of the glasses would be kind of the, the social justice effort in this, I guess, this, this example? Right. So I guess the eye doctor who wrote the prescription is the social justice <laughs> advocate. So the the provider of the glasses is the agent of social justice and really the system that allows folks to get glasses who need them that's really mm -hmm. providing that framework for social justice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think that distinction really helps us set the stage for now, being able to measure the concepts moving forward. But before we get into that level, when did you start your exploration of social justice? Um, so I've always been drawn to the field of social justice for as long as I can remember. Um, even as a kid growing up, in a pretty diverse city in California, I remember learning about the civil rights movement in social studies class, maybe fifth grade or so. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the first time that I remember just feeling excited about school. Later on, when I did a Black history report on Malcolm X, I wore my granddaddy's <laughs> church jacket and his hat to class for my presentation. <laughs> and even when I got to college, while I majored in distinct fields like journalism during undergrad, the focus of the studies that most interest me were related to social justice. And during grad school, same thing, while I majored in international relations, I tend to have research interests that were in international development and human rights, um, stemming from larger pictures of mm -hmm. global, social, global social justice and solidarity. You know, when you think about the impact that that experience had on your future, and if you hadn't had that opportunity to 
do that type of presentation or be exposed to various perspectives in the earlier grades, you know, I think that's interesting because you might not have been on this trajectory had you not had that early exposure. So I know when we start looking at, you know, the educational system and, and being able to provide cultural experiences from an early age that can really have an impact yeah. on your later career. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I forget the actual the saying, but it's something about inspiration is representation or it was that representation at that time. The first time I started to see people in textbooks and stuff that looked anything like me was mm-hmm. honestly very inspiring. And I just, I had no idea like this almost like new world existed. And mm-hmm. I was just like, why are these people in the streets? And I just, I just wanted to learn more about it. It was just, I found it fascinating. Great. And so now thinking about your current research, you know, as a doctoral candidate, you know, what are you working on there? Yeah. So, so again, that sort of interest in social movement groups started through childhood and has kind of just followed me all the way up through my career. And so at this point, as a PhD candidate, I'm now exploring the impacts of outgroup allyship on in-group dynamics of social movement groups. Yeah, translate that for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I pretty much just uh, want to understand how people who don't socially identify with certain marginalized groups, how their efforts to assist that cause or that group impact the sort of collective identity that the group has established over time. And so I'm looking at different types of social movement groups that are more identity-based. So this can deal with issues from anything from race to gender to religion, anything that Mm -hmm. has a social identity aspect to it. Even though I didn't major in psychology, I've always had sort of an interest in social psychology. So I tend to follow theories that take me in that direction. Um, so you're speaking my language, my background's in social <laughs> psychology. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having vivid memories of my, my research also. <laughs> yeah. So it, all the social identity stuff, I, 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 I'm really interested in taking my knowledge and experiences with social movement groups and sort of putting that sort of focal point on it. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, when is your end in sight? (laughs) I um, am planning to be finished this summer, actually. Well, that'd be exciting. We'll have to put an update when we get the news. (laughs) Stay tuned for that one. Thank you. So let's go back to our, our earlier definition now that you, you shared some of your background and, and how you got involved with studying social justice. And we mentioned some of the definitions. And early on when, in the intro, we talked about social justice as the equal treatment of all individuals, regardless of their race, gender, or sexual orientation, or other personal characteristics. I mean, that seems daunting to measure when you think about all of those components. Mm-hmm. So when we're thinking about if we are involved in an organization or a school or a community, where might they start collecting data? I always think about starting with, you know, collecting the baseline of where we are in terms of social justice. So if you were providing some guidance for an organization, where would you suggest they start? The specific data um, collected will depend on the goals of the baseline data collection effort and the social justice issues that are being addressed. Mm -hmm. So I think a good sort of baseline would be starting with demographic data. Mm -hmm. And this can include information about race, ethnicity, gender, age, socioeconomic status um, of the 
specific population that's being studied. Data can also be used to understand the distribution of social justice outcomes across distinct groups and identify disparities and inequalities in those groups. Um, I think that's sort of the umbrella, mm-hmm. <laughs> a starting point for the baseline data. But <laughs> the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like if you have no idea where to start, it's always easiest to sort of look at that sort of demographic data. I would say to folks, if you're not familiar with it, I mean, you could always go to the census website. They always have mm-hmm. information there and you can drill down quite a bit and that's publicly available. So that is a good starting mm-hmm. point. If you're not sure um, if you've got local resources, that's always you know, step one. <laughs> if all else mm-hmm. fails, you know, you can go there and, and download data sets as well as reports and visualizations for your community demographics and even your region and state. I think that um, if you exhaust those those resources with the demographic data, you can also consider looking at representation data. Mm -hmm. Um, An example of this can be political representation in your state or city or town or Mm -hmm. however big or small you want to (laughs) go and look at the information about the representation of diverse groups in elective office or appointments to government positions, for example. This can be used to understand, again, the impact of social justice issues um, that happen in different areas um, around your around the world, really, but um, around your state or city, including voter suppression, political representation, participation, gerrymandering, and these sort of political aspects of life. So that might be um, something they can access locally. Um, trying to think of voter data, you know, and be yeah, able to get some sure. disaggregations there of who actually is participating in elections. Yeah, I I love Pew Research Center. <laughs> mm-hmm. I use their source a lot. Um, I think sort of, again, hitting those databases you're talking about, accessing those um, might be the most helpful uh, for people who have collected data over a period of time, so to speak. Some of this might be included in the census as well, actually. So um, we'll, we'll put some links in our description box. So if anybody wants to access these uh, resources we're talking about, you can have a, a link there for your reference. Yeah, and um, I think another option that might not be the easiest to access, but it's just an option to have available is looking at things like criminal justice data. So this can include information about arrest rates, incarceration rates, mm-hmm. um, recidivism rates. Um, and this data can be used to understand the impact of social justice issues, such as racial profiling, um, unequal treatment in the criminal justice system, criminal justice outcomes, And in addition to this, I think it'll be interesting to look at access data. So um, looking at different community access to education, healthcare, and employment to find patterns in discrimination. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of available resources there as well. I'm thinking about some of the criminal justice data. I've taught a data mining course, and I found a data set from a county level data set about criminal justice system in Illinois. So there are pockets of these resources. Some are a little bit more robust. They're usually de-identified. So you can look at things from a group level and often they do have a variety of demographics as well as some of these indicators that you just talked about. Education data, plenty of data sets available. Again, you're not getting a lot always at the individual level for protection purposes, but you can still explore some of these group issues that might come up within a community or a region. So let me take a pause here and think about these baseline data components. Now let's imagine that you might be in an area that does not have a lot of diversity. 
I guess, where would they start with their baseline data? If uh, diversity, uh, people immediately think of, you know, racial diversity, ethnic um, mm -hmm. diversity, you know, where else might they start with their exploration of social justice? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question because I think that even those of us working in this field, we tend to have a very limited scope of what diversity even means. And we mm -hmm. tend to look how you said, just that sort of racial elements of those sort of physical characteristics. But even within homogenous communities or you know communities who are all of the same, uh, we'll say religion or uh, mm -hmm. race, ethnicity, culture, there's different layers of demographics that are within there. There might be more men than women. There might be more children than adults or like these sort of other gaps that we can identify that are necessarily mm -hmm. physical traits. So for example, a small town of predominantly, we'll say middle-aged <laughs> uh, uh, Caucasian Catholics. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we already, we already uh, described the, the race, the age and the religion, religion. right? Um, but we can still look at socioeconomic status. Are they all middle-class for the most part? Is there a large uh, mm -hmm. wealth gap where just people live in two parts of town, the poor part and the rich part? And, mm -hmm. you know, we can sort of look at these other elements of the demographics that look outside of just race and, and things like that. Sure. And then you've also got education and employment in there, and those can be factored mm -hmm. in as well. So I think that's an important component of collecting baseline data. You've got a variety of indicators. It's not any one thing in mm -hmm. any one community. So it's important to have a good well-rounded set of data to start from. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if we want to look at social justice programs or activities that are furthering social justice causes, what results should I look for to see if that program worked? So, you know, what outcomes are desired? Like, what should I expect and what should I plan to measure to know that what we did had the desired effect? That's an interesting question. I think, um, I think as far as what you can expect to see, three key areas. So you may see some changes in attitudes and beliefs of individuals um, or communities towards social justice issues. So this usually looks like um, increased awareness, more empathy and support for marginalized groups from, mm -hmm. um, we would say, outside outside or external supporters. You may see increased knowledge and understanding of social justice issues um, amongst, again, individuals and communities, more understanding of the root causes of social justice problems and the factors that contribute to systemic inequalities. And this includes a lot of self-reflection as well. Mm -hmm. And you may see some changes in behaviors and actions of um, different individuals, such as increased engagement in social social justice activities and volunteering or activism, and um, changes in the policies and practice of organizations to promote social justice. So this is when you're seeing people get actively involved in some of the causes that maybe they were unfamiliar with at first within their community. And with social media, this is very easy to do nowadays. So a lot of people are even getting uh, virtually involved in different social causes um, that they were once unaware of. So what you just talked about really fits into those three areas that we always come back to when we're talking about measurement, really kind of the affective or one's uh, feelings around a topic, their knowledge, some of the cognitive, what's their awareness and understanding, and then you know, some of the behavioral components of what are the actions that are in place. And uh, what came to mind as you were talking about these areas was self-efficacy. 
you know, we might know about these things or have certain feelings that might have been there or maybe changed as a result of a program, but that component of self-efficacy, when you're thinking about something just large and systems-based, sometimes mm -hmm. thinking, you know, how does what I do, will that make a difference? Do I have the skills to be able to make a change? You know, what can I do to support and, and does it matter? What, what does what I do matter? So sometimes the aspect of self-efficacy, it's easier to think about when it's something like individual behavior change and diet and exercise, for example. But when you're thinking about something as systems-based as social justice, that component of self-efficacy, I think is, is an important one that needs to be considered also. Absolutely. Um, that's a, that's an excellent point. And we also, I'm, a big picture thinker. So sometimes it's really hard for me to sort of feel like, oh, am I making a difference? It's just one thing. Who's going to even read this paper? It's published in a <laughs> journal that nobody I know reads and these types of things. But at the end of the day, when you, I guess, break down the sort of macro element of everything, we are just individuals coming together, making communities, making governments, making mm -hmm. systems. Like if you mm -hmm. break it down a step by step, I think it's easier to sort of see that the impact that you're making is worthwhile. And even if it is as simple as making someone else's day for that day, you know, you never know what other people are going through or need. Mm -hmm. And that in turn, again, is a chain reaction where they do the same to someone else and it leads to bigger out outcomes. So you mentioned about leading to those outcomes. So let's talk about some of that. What would be some of the outcomes? You know, we talked about some of the things we might measure around attitudes and uh, understanding and behaviors. So what are those you know, big picture outcomes that we might look for as a result of an implementation of a program or, or a social justice um, effort? Yeah, I think um, seeing improvements in specific social justice outcomes, such as increased access to education, reduce disparities in health outcomes mm. or reduce racial profiling by law enforcement. But going back again to that conversation we had about equity and equality earlier, um, when we really start to see the shift in those um, access points, I think is the beginning of real systemic change, which you may see evidence of systemic change, such as laws, policies, institutions that promote social justice and reduce, again, those systemic inequalities. So again, it's from that micro to macro level, it's seeing the differences we make in everyday communities to the laws and institutions that's that difference. Yeah, I think that's an area to think about those big picture outcomes. You mentioned something about reduced disparities in health outcomes. When we think about some of the access to healthcare and some of the systems that are in place, you know, that real impact is when you start seeing the improvements in wellness behaviors and the reduction in some of the um, health concerns and issues and um, illnesses. You, know, you start to see that impact and it does take time. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's that long-term, what do we expect to see? Where would we want to go? And keeping momentum in that direction, because just because you might not see that change within the first six months or even the first year, doesn't mean that the work isn't important or it's not making a difference. Some of these outcomes do take more time and will take mm -hmm. a lot more, uh, I guess, patience and formative evaluation. When we talk about measuring progress along the way, if we're not seeing that momentum moving in that direction, what might need to change? Maybe we're not targeting the right audience. Maybe the program isn't being delivered with fidelity. So there's a lot of things that can be reviewed along the way toward those 
you know, big picture mm -hmm. outcomes. So when you think about that progress in between where you are to where you want to be, what are some indicators that will help us to track progress? I know it'll vary depending on what the goals of the program are, but what are some examples mm -hmm. that you might've seen in your work? Yeah. So there are several or maybe even endless key indicators that we can identify when measuring the progress towards a more just society. So a sort of ongoing indicator in the United States social climate, for example, would be the treatment of marginalized groups. We're seeing several protests from multiple groups um, towards these issues of hate crimes, police brutality, and discrimination in the workplace. If we look at a the case of the United States' social climate with race relations and treatment of marginalized groups, um, such as people of color, LGBTQ individuals, and people with disabilities, for example. We look at that sort of initial call for change, which has been going on for mm -hmm. decades, of course. But if we're looking more at recent history, um, we've seen uh, calls for the stop to police brutality through groups like BLM, um, stop, uh, stop Asian Hate, uh, and other uh, groups with large platform, platforms and online audiences that have spotlighted these issues in the United States and echoed these issues in other countries all around the world who have similar problems. Um, I think that if we start to search for progress indicators, we can look at things like hashtags and retweets and social media posts and see how far this message is going across the world and across social media we can start to look at more concrete changes, such as the rates and frequencies of police killings of minorities or hate crimes and acts of police violence. We can start to look at the frequency and rates of maybe promotions of minorities in different workplace atmospheres. So basically we're looking at a scale to try to see if the things we don't wanna see are decreasing and the things we want to see are increasing. Right, right. Yeah, that's something in terms of workplace and education. And I even think about, you know, voting, you know, what are the differences in voting patterns? You know, are we starting mm -hmm. to see uh, more access to the voting booths and the polls and more participation. So those data can be collected as well as you know, education data and healthcare data or criminal justice data, employment data, like all of these components. Again, just like a baseline, it's not any one thing. So as we're tracking progress, it's not any one thing. It's really the accumulation of these things that really go into tracking progress with the ultimate goal of improving social climate. And it's not an easy one. It's a big one, but uh, there are a lot more data available to track progress. So uh, we didn't even talk about predicting, uh, you know, that's a whole nother topic, but you know, here we're just looking at you know, real time situation, but you could also collect enough data to start doing some predictions to see if there are uh, likely incidents of success or problems coming up in the future. Collecting data on multiple outcomes is very important to get a comprehensive understanding of the mm -hmm. impact of the program or the activity, as well as when measuring social justice, it's very important to have a comprehensive and ongoing approach to monitoring, monitoring the progress toward a more just society. Well, it gave us a lot to think about. We There are a lot of data out there, a lot of measures we can collect, but we talked about you know the importance of defining what it is that we're looking for. How do we discuss uh, social justice 
and what that entails different from other constructs? What does it mean for the program or activity that we're doing so that we can collect the appropriate data at baseline and track progress along the way? And you know, ultimately look at the impact on society at large. So thank you for so much for coming today and sharing insight thank on you. this topic. It's a big one. So you know, we really appreciate your perspective and your experiences and we look forward to updates and, and wish you all the best with your doctoral work. Thank you so much for this great work you're doing. Today, we explored the concept of social justice. Here are three takeaways so you can say, I did it. One, determine what social justice currently looks like in your organization or community. Two, identify what data sets might help you measure baseline data for your research on social justice. Three, develop a clear set of outcomes you want to unpack as a result of your social justice work so you can ensure you're measuring the right things. Join us next week for a constructive chat about another cryptic concept because you can measure anything.